I want to preach to you today a message entitled, Order My Steps. Will you stand? And you will not have time to find it in your Bible. Just trust me. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9. The preparation of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Psalms 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in his way. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. You may be seated. Pro Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Order my steps. I was pastoring in Memphis, Tennessee, where I've been with my family there five happy years. We've just dedicated a brand new sanctuary, and things were good. There was church growth. The finances were good. We held our annual business meeting on a Wednesday night. It was a wonderful scene of unity and vision and faith for the future. The parsonage was on the property of the church, and since we walked, closed up the building, and walked across the parking lot to the parsonage and went in the kitchen door, I said to my wife, if I were ever going to leave Memphis, I would want to leave at a time like this when everything is good. There's no, there are no problems in the church. The finances are good. There's growth, just good reports. As we opened the door, the telephone was ringing, and it was hanging on the, on the kitchen wall, so I picked it up. It was my good friend, Harold Tyus, who at that time was pastoring here at Evangel Assembly in Jacksonville, Florida. And he said, Cecil, I want you to pray about something. I'm leaving here to go to Key West. And I would like to submit your name to be considered as a future pastor here in Jacksonville. I said, well, Harold, I will certainly have to pray about that. I had no intention of leaving Memphis at that particular time. Even though I'd made that statement, I've learned not to make those kind of statements anymore. <laughs> so we did pray. We fasted and prayed for several days. I called him back and said, I do feel that I should come and allow them to candidate my name and, and vote to see whether that would be God's will. We arrived in the city on Saturday night, ate at a small restaurant on the west side, and on October the 4th, 1964, preached our first sermon in the church in a business meeting that night, elected us to become the future pastors of Evangel Assembly. It was then, became later Evangel Temple, here in Jacksonville. We didn't move that week, but in the month of November, we moved our family to Jacksonville, Florida. I had to go back to Memphis and resign the church that I was pastoring. That was not easy. It was not easy. On the way to Florida, with our belongings that we had in the car and the truck had already made its way down here with our furniture, I remarked to my wife, well, I never wanted to move to Florida, never had any plans to. We'll probably stay two years. We did, and a little more. I believe our steps were ordered by the Lord. I believe that God brought us to Jacksonville, Florida. 
It did involve fasting and prayers. I believe that people should always fast and pray regarding God's will for their life. During the 41 years that we have been here, we've had 16 property purchases and 14 building and remodeling projects. And so it's been a busy time over these 41 years. We've grown from a little less than 100 people because the church had lost a large number of people uh, before we moved here. And there was somewhat of a church split. And so we came and established our ministry here with God's help and the people's blessing. And today it's grown to where in this wonderful congregation, we stand today with somewhat uh, humble spirit because I do not deserve to be here. This was not my dream. This was not my vision. I had other plans, but God brought me to Florida and my wife and my children. Gary was in the fourth grade. Kay was in the second grade. Evangel Temple has maintained during these 41 years the traditional Pentecostal testimony that had been established by Pastor Tyus and previous pastors prior to our coming here. It has been known in the Assemblies of God as a traditional Pentecostal Assembly of God church. We've maintained that testimony. We've maintained our emphasis on revival. That when people come to the house of God, it will not be dead. It will not be an endurance contest, but people will feel the Spirit of God moving in their hearts during the services. That involved a number of things that we must keep in focus. Number one, the ministry of the Word. We want this to always be a Word church. We never invite speakers. We never have people here as guests that we do not believe will present the Word of God. And so the Word is preached from this pulpit. We do not believe that people come here for entertainment. They come here to feast on the Word of God. And so there's been fasting and prayer. That part of our ministry here may not have been supported by as many people as should have been. Oftentimes the prayer meetings are somewhat small. And you add the component of fasting and it gets smaller. And so, but we have maintained, maintained every year an emphasis on fasting and prayer, irregardless. We've maintained a strong message of Bible holiness. What we believe the Bible teaches that Christians, how they should live, how they should dress, how they should act. You know, in the early days, holiness meant how long a woman's hair was, how long her dress was, it was the length of the sleeves and the hem of the dress, and, and it was uh, not going to the picture shows and not drinking coffee or tea or Coca-Cola and all those, not, not reading the funny papers and all of those things. That was really the holiness message. Well, it involved other things. But we have maintained a holiness message that allows people uh, to kind of choose and decide how they should dress as long as it's modest. The Bible teaches us to dress in modest apparel. I will have to acknowledge that that's not always what we observe. Help me now. <laughs> But it should be. It should be. And so we, we, we don't have a dress code as such, and we don't tell people how to wear their hair and uh, what entertainment. But we have to preach against worldly entertainment that is compromising 
that is degrading and that causes people to commit sin. And so we have maintained a strong message of Bible holiness in regard to morality, in regard to sex outside of marriage. We still believe that people should save their sex life for their marriage partner and that it should be a lifetime commitment. And we believe that, it, that marriage should be between a man and a woman. We've never compromised those stands. We take holiness a step further than they did in those early days because I observed how that people could wear their hair, the ladies could in a little bun on the back of their head, and they had a bad mouth. They could gossip, I mean, like a whirlwind. So we include holiness to mean that you don't gossip, you don't criticize, you don't get mad, you don't have an angry spirit, you don't covet, you don't have feelings in your heart against people, grudges. I believe that holiness involves the attitude of life. We have people in this church that sometimes don't like the music, sometimes don't like the preaching. But I'm telling you, their mouth runs like 90 miles an hour criticizing everything that's going on. Help me now. <laughs> I'm going to come down there and say amen. <laughs> We've maintained an emphasis on evangelism and soul winning and world missions. We've never jeopardized our missionary involvement by building programs and improvements here and spending all the money on ourselves. We today are one of the leading churches in the top 100 Assembly of God churches in missionary giving and in Sunday school attendance. We've maintained our emphasis on Sunday school, on vacation Bible school, on children's church and Christian education. While some churches have forgotten those things and let them fall by the wayside, we've maintained at great cost and great effort and great sacrifice, an emphasis on Christian education. We've maintained a strong emphasis on music and worship. And this is a difficult, very difficult thing to do in a large congregation because you have people with a lot of different tastes. We have some people that like only Southern gospel and quartet style music. And while we have a great appreciation for that, we believe that there should also be other styles, even contemporary and traditional. And that is a real problem to a lot of people. But if I listen to everybody's criticism about the contemporary music that is used, we'd drive half of our young people off to some other place. And they would go to a place where they felt a little more beat. So I'm just not going to let you decide what kind of music goes on here in this church. We're going to have a little bit of all of it. Sometimes we have slow music, and sometimes we have fast music, and sometimes we have quiet music, and sometimes we have loud music, and sometimes we have music with a beat that I can't even keep. We have the choruses, and people said they sing off the wall in that church, and we sing off the screen. <laughs> we still have songbooks in the pews also, and we use them. We still sing the hymns, and we still sing the evangelistic songs. We believe in an ode of 
music that will help us to worship God in, in different uh, types of music. I even like the big band and the orchestra. I like the brass and the wind instruments and the string instruments. And I even pretty well like the drums. I like the guitar. I love the organ. I love the piano and the synthesizer. I also love that Rogers organ that God is going to send us a gifted musician that one day will let the strains of music from that beautiful, expensive instrument fill this place with a, a melody that the Hammond cannot produce. I love the evangelistic style of the Hammond organ. I really do. But I also love the high church music that also can come from the Rogers organ, and we need a little bit of it. I know it gets quiet when I get on this subject. <laughs> you know, people will boycott certain groups that we have here. They won't even come to church. They'll stay home and watch television. Watch the Lone Ranger or something. <laughs> I attend every music concert we have, and I may not get a whole lot out of all of it, but I get something out of all of it. Our prayer today should be what was incorporated in the choir song and the ensemble, order my steps. Let God be in control. And if God is in control and the little children are being blessed and the teenagers are being blessed and the young adults are being blessed, and the moms and the dads and the senior citizens, senior citizens, <laughs> senior citizens. <laughs> I didn't mean to call your name. <laughs> if the senior citizens are being blessed, we ought to be thankful. Amen. Jesus preached his first sermon in his hometown. Before he did, the night before, he laid aside his carpenter's apron, his tools, arranged them on the bench, swept up the shavings, and then went and retired for the night. Early the next morning, long before day, he went to the bedside of his mother and he kissed her goodbye. And down the street and across the way, he, Jesus walked. This was a turn in his life. It was a new day. The dogs were barking in the neighborhood at this shadowy sub substance going through the neighborhood because it was unusual. And he walked across the meadows and across the brook and up the slopes of the mountainside. He went far up that mountain till he found a place of quiet repose, just him and God, the wild beast, and the devil. The devil was there. The devil came to this place where Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days and nights before he ever preached his first sermon. He tempted him, but Jesus conquered every temptation the devil threw at him. He did not turn the stones into bread. He did not jump off the pinnacle of the temple. He refused to bow before Satan in order to gain the kingdoms of this world at a cheap price rather than dying on a cross. The Bible says that angels came 
and ministered to him and strengthened him. Angels are still in God's employment and they will come when we need them. They will be there. We don't need to worry about it. God will have them on the scene. He afterward hungered and he went back down the slopes of that mountain, went back to his hometown to Nazareth. And in Luke chapter 4, the same chapter that records the 40 days of fasting and prayer, beginning with verse 15, he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it to, again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He said, That's me. I'm the one that is talking about. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel. When he opened that book, he found that place that described his ministry, and he said, I'm here, and here's my message. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to preach deliverance to the captives. I've come to bring about the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. I've come to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Beloved, people need the gospel. They need the message that Christ Jesus came and bled and died and was resurrected and ascended back to God and is coming again. People need the word. They need the gospel. They don't need pablum. They need the bread of life. They don't need milk toast. They need the meat of the word. They don't need a gospel of convenience. They need a gospel that will require commitment and dedication. They don't need an apology. They need to hear the commandments of God, thus and thus saith the Lord. Jesus is building his church. His church is not an entertainment center. His church is not what people would expect. Well, I'm going to see what they have down there, and if I like it or don't like it. You need it if you don't like it. You need what the church offers. You need the mes message that declares that we need to repent and get right with God. The church is not a political machine, and so we need not be drug into politics. The church is not a social organization to keep, with all, keep up with all of the other things. Philip Brooks was a great preacher back in the 1800s. One day he wanted to treat his wife to a carriage ride, so he went to the livery stable for the very best horse. He asked the livery stable man, I want the best horse that you have. I'm taking my wife for a ride and I want the very best for this occasion. So the liberal man hitched up a horse to the buggy and he said to him, this animal is about as perfect as a horse could be. It is kind, gentle, 
intelligent, well-trained, obedient, willing, responds instantly to every command, never kicks or balks or bites, and lives only to please its driver. Philip Brooks quietly said to the owner, do you suppose I could get that horse to join my church? <laughs> you can always wish. <laughs> I believe the church should be judged in the eyes of little children. So that's why we emphasize children's ministry so strongly here. Last Wednesday, I was stopped right in the back of the church here by Angie Touchton with her little girl, Mary. Are you here? Yeah. Come here. Come here, Mary. Two weeks ago today, woe be unto me, I was taken off this property in an ambulance. They persuaded on me, persuaded me to let them call 911. I was embarrassed to be loaded onto an ambulance and people still in the parking lot and the lights flashed and the siren going, turned the corner, head back down the interstate, and I almost hung my head as I passed the church. But on the way, I kept saying, no heart attack, no stroke. I said it a hundred times at least. No heart attack, no stroke. And last Wednesday, Angie told me that little Mary said to her, when will we hear Pastor Wiggins preach again? She was so upset. She didn't know if that was the end of my ministry here. And Mary, you came to church on Wednesday night last week to hear me preach and met me back out oh, there. So thank God for little children, the eyes of little children. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. And thank you for your prayers because there was no stroke, there was no heart attack. They can't find out what was wrong with me. It must have been all up here. <laughs> No, it was the prayers of God's people. I told my doctors, the people are praying for me. And this past Thursday, I was back to see the doctor on a follow-up call, and she said, we don't know what happened. But I said, I do. I had a lot of people praying for me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Forty-one years ago, I left Memphis, Tennessee, and I preached my farewell sermon. Little Vicki Engel, six years old, in the first grade, handed me a note that said, Dear Brother Wiggins, I'm sure going to miss you every Sunday and at Bible school. I hope you, that all the boys and girls love you as much as I do when you get to your church. I can't think of anything else. Love, Vicki. <laughs> I've received so many notes and I, I get so many greetings by little children. They don't want to go home until they've said hi to the pastor before they leave. And they pray for me every single day of their life. The parents tell them they pray for you every day. Well, in the eyes of little children, I believe that our ministry can be judged likewise as well as those who are well along in years. The anointing to preach. Someone asked an elderly minister who was kind of country what the difference between the anointing and the unction was. And he said, well, I don't rightly know but I sure know when it ain't. <laughs> and any preacher can tell you when it ain't. And most church members can tell you when it ain't. <laughs> in his first sermon in Nazareth, following his 40 days of fasting and prayer, 
Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach. Three times in that passage, he alluded to the anointing to preach. When he left Nazareth, he went to Capernaum where he established his headquarters for ministry. And in Capernaum, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now people don't like the message of repentance. They'd rather have the message telling you how you can get rich, how you can be wealthy, how you can stay well, and what diet to follow, and all of these things. That Certainly it's not the gospel. Not the gospel. Help me. Don't get quiet on me. I know that some of your favorite preachers tell you how to get wealthy and how to prosper. I'm telling you to repent. Jesus began to preach and he said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. People don't want to hear the message of repentance. They want to keep their lifestyle. They want to keep their pet sins. They want to live as they please and still claim to be a wonderful Christian because of the size of their bank account, the clothing they wear, the automobile they drive, and the neighborhood they live in. Doesn't mean a thing. When you're going to die, when you die, you're going to leave every bit of it. You're not taking any of it with you. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth to preach. And he went to Capernaum and he began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 says, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Ghost and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. This church believes in doing good. That's why we sent a team to Gulfport to set up a feeding kitchen along with another pastor. And we had teams there feeding people day after day after day, right after Katrina struck the Gulf Coast. That's why we sent the team this past week. And they went to Moss Point and they went to Biloxi and they worked long, hard hours putting sheetrock back in the buildings that had been destroyed and devastated and they were worshiping under a tent and today they're inside of a church building that our team refurbished and there's chairs there for them to sit on that Bill Henry and his organization sent over and they set the chairs up for them. And thank God for Brother Latham and his wife who are here today that we're helping as they go back into the southernmost part of Louisiana to rebuild a church and to start over again when everybody there lost everything and they're going back there. We believe in doing good. That's why we were first responders after the earthquake in El Salvador and had a team there on the spot and to see what could be done following the earthquake in El Salvador a few years ago. That's why in Honduras, when the Honduran government gave up on finding the body of Mike Hines, an Assembly of God missionary, lost in the jungles and the mountains of Honduras, an inaccessible area. And this church helped finance the two men that went in there and located the body and brought it down off the mountainside for a decent family burial for his family that meant so much. Yes, we believe in doing good works. We believe in the medical clinic that is going to be established in Bucharest, Romania with Osby Saylor and the team that will be leaving this coming Wednesday. We believe in the medical clinic that took place a few years ago in El Salvador where they went into this village, one of the poorest areas, and did a medical clinic. And this past week, the floods following a volcano and a storm literally wiped that village off the face of the map.
and buried it under tons of mud. Thank God our team was in there to do good and lead a lot of those people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in time. Yes, the medical clinics have gone on in other countries. Our teams have built churches in many countries. And thank God for the, the good things that go on right here in this city. As I preach to you right now, we have three men in a prison in Nassau County teaching a Sunday school class and teaching those men when they get out how to get reestablished and follow the Bible as the rule book and the role for their life. On many occasions each year, we have prison crusades that involve 50, 60, up to 100 people, sometimes as low as 20. But they go into these prison compounds and conduct a crusade, and hundreds of prisoners respond and give their lives to Christ. And I get letters from inside those prison walls telling me what the songs meant, what the testimonies meant, what the sermons meant, and what the prayers of our people meant. Yes, Jesus went about anointed to preach the gospel, doing good. Our church must be about doing good. That's about having the Samaritan house two blocks down the street where we provide food and clothing through the week for those who come from the needy areas of our city. It's about giving out the blankets in the hard winter time on the streets of the inner city and hot food and conducting services to show the love of God it's about doing things in many areas like the sidewalk Sunday school and the work in the, in the projects. It's about doing good. Teams and individuals single-handedly just taking it on themselves to do ministry. The seniors go into the nursing homes every week and preach the gospel to the nursing home people. And what a blessing it is for them to hear the word of God and to be encouraged. It's about things like Brother and Sister Latham who stand, stand again. I want you to give them a hand. Amen. They're going back where everything was lost and wiped out. They're going back and rebuild a church and reach a community. Many of the people have said, we're not going back. There's nothing to go back to. We've lost everything. I have a good friend who spent many years in Mississippi as a pastor pastored the church that our team worked in on Friday of this past week. And Kenneth Broadus had just built a new home. He had retired from the ministry. He lost everything, everything in this world except their lives, everything. He's moving to Texas. He said, I've been through six hurricanes. I'm moving to Texas. And now then we don't know what might happen in Texas. And so you have to pray about wherever you go. This church believes in a ministry of healing. He went about healing those who were oppressed by the devil. Teen Challenge is a ministry of healing. Healing lives devastated by drugs, alcohol, and other abuses. And now then, they're being healed. And we help Teen Challenge and help support them. This past week, I sent $5,000 to a team that was working in Prague, Czechoslovakia, on a Teen Challenge Center, and they ran out of money. And when that pastor gets back, I'm going to tell him, why don't you call your congregation? He called me. And I, I wired him $5,000 because I knew that you'd give it. <laughs> I knew we could count on you because we believe in the healing ministry of Teen Challenge. 
We have people in our church that have been healed going through the Teen Challenge program. We have people that have been delivered from drugs and alcohol and all other kinds of things just right here at this altar. The healing took place instantaneously. It doesn't happen that way for everybody. Sometimes they have to get Bible lessons and a lot of teaching, a lot of encouragement. Teen Challenge offers that. Salvation is the healing that everyone needs. There is no permanent healing without it. It heals the broken homes, the broken lives, the broken will, destroyed character, destroyed reputation. God is looking for those who will say, order my steps. Will you respond as Isaiah did in chapter 6? Here am I, Lord, send me. Will you respond to Jesus who said to Peter and Andrew, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Will you respond as Jesus urged Simon Peter to do in John chapter 21, following the crucifixion and the resurrection? Peter said, too much for me. I can't handle it anymore. I throw up my hands. I throw in the towel, and he went fishing. Others went with him. Anytime you make a decision, there will be somebody following you, so be careful of the decisions you make. When they came in the next morning, Jesus was standing on the shore. And he said, children, have you any meat? And for a fisherman to acknowledge, they have nothing. They have no catch. They have no prizes. They have nothing to show for their endeavor that night. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. I always didn't want my wife to ask me what I got when I would go hunting. Because oftentimes that's the response. I felt sorry for them. Let them go. That's all she knows. <laughs> you can fool a woman. <laughs> it works every time. <laughs> they know I wouldn't sacrifice out there in that cold. I mean your teeth chattering and come back with nothing if it wasn't just compassion for the wildlife. <laughs> I won't tell you about what Justin and Jordan did to some poor doves uh, Saturday, Friday. And their daddy didn't have, I mean, he had compassion, but they, they took out all their anger on them poor little morning doves. <laughs> Jesus said to Simon Peter, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. He asked him three times. Finally, Peter was indignant. He was angry. You know that I love you. You know that I like you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Today, the Lord is looking over this congregation. Do you love me? Will you follow me? Will you let me order your steps? Can I be the Lord of your life? It's not just for brother and sister Latham, brother and sister Belvin, and the ministers on our staff, but it's for everyone let him order your steps. Will you bow your head? I'd like to ask this question. How many will slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I'm not saved. I know that Jesus needs to run my life. And I need to turn around. I need your prayers. Or you can say, I'm a backslider. And I want to come home to God. I need your prayers. Raise your hand. In either case, just slip your hand up for prayer anywhere. Slip it right up. Yes, God bless you, sir. God bless you. 
How many more? You'll join these and say, yes, pastor, I want to let God order my steps. I'm tired of, yes, thank you, thank you. I'm tired of doing it myself. I need him to be in control. Yes, thank you, I see you. Yes, thank you. Praise God, praise God, praise God. I'm gonna ask that no one leave, everyone stand while I pray. Now, Father, a number of people have lifted their hands and I pray for every one of them. I pray that indeed this will be the turning point of their life and you will order their steps and they'll follow Jesus all the way. In Jesus' name. Now I want everyone in this room to pray this prayer with me. Dear God in heaven, Dear God in heaven I confess my sin. I confess my I sin. I repent of my sin. I repent of my I'm sin. I'm sorry that I failed. I'm sorry that I failed. I ask you to come into my heart I ask you to come into and my be heart. the Lord of my life. I want to serve you, I want to serve you. and I receive you, and I receive you as, my Lord. as my Lord. I thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for hearing In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you believe God answered that prayer, and you were one of those who raised your hand, I want you to walk right down to the front, kneel here at this altar, and let one of our prayer workers give you a piece of literature and pray with you before you leave out of this building. If you didn't raise your hand, but you prayed that prayer sincerely, and you asked the Lord to change your life, and you believe he heard your prayer, I want you to come. And if you just need to pray about things that have been out of control, and Jesus is asking you to let him order your step, you come. Will you come right now? Quickly. Move.